The Silver Room Block Party is back. This weekend at Oakwood Beach, you can catch acts like Hannibal Burris, Joey Perp, Mother Nature. Get your sweat on with the Chicago Bulls basketball clinics or groove to R&B yoga. They're going to have double dutch beach volleyball and, of course, good food. And please bring the whole family. They got a kid's area, too. And if they're under 13, they get in free. Purchase tickets now at silverroomblockparty.com. Today on CityCast Chicago, one week after the mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park that left seven people dead and dozens injured, details continue to emerge about the alleged shooter. 21-year-old Robert Cremo III has been charged with seven counts of first-degree murder, and prosecutors have said more charges are coming. Immediately, questions surface about how the suspect was able to legally get the semi-automatic rifle he allegedly used to fire into the crowd— especially because police had previously visited Cremo and his family at their home after he had made threats of violence. A family member reported that Cremo said he was going to kill everyone and Cremo had a collection of knives. The Highland Park Police Department, however, did immediately notify the Illinois State Police of the incident. We break down Illinois gun laws with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. It's Monday, July 11th. I'm Simona Avisea, in for Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. So Patrick, can you tell me when and why did police first come into contact with uh, criminal third and his parents? Well, the first contact actually is, uh, I think in 2016, he got, he got a uh, tobacco violation, but... The relevant contact first happened in early 2019, according to police, when um, they there was a report that he had tried to kill himself. Uh, police responded to that, uh, ultimately determined that it was being handled by a mental health professional and kind of left it at that. Um, and then I think the most relevant uh, interaction with police is September 2019, according to authorities, when someone called police and reported that that Cremo had threatened to, quote, kill everyone. Uh, and they also told police that he had a large collection of knives. Police went to his home in September 2019, according to authorities. They confiscate, confiscated a box of 16 knives, a dagger, and a samurai sword. However, Cremo at the time denied making the threats. His mom denied that it happened. Uh, they said there was no probable cause to make an arrest. They did, however, they confiscated those knives and they made a report to the Illinois State Police saying that because of this, they believe that Cremo may be a clear and present danger. One thing on the knives that I, I think is important to know, just because, you know, his dad's going to come up a lot in this conversation. His dad, according to police, went to them and said, actually, that those knives are my knives. He was just holding them for me and police returned the knives to him. But at this point, when they make this report, like, does this go into a record? Is this something that they now keep track of? That's a really good question. I mean, that that's the whole point of having this, that we actually have, you know, people pro might be familiar with the idea of mandated mandated reporting when it's something like somebody who believes they're seeing child abuse, you have to report mm -hmm. it. There's something like that in Illinois where if you're a teacher or a police officer and you, you have reason to believe that you've come in contact with someone who's a danger to other, a threat to themselves or others, you are actually required for certain professions like police and, and, and teacher to report mm -hmm. that to the state police. The idea is that they would then take that information and if it met a certain threshold of evidence, they could then use that to take away someone's gun permit 
or deny an application for a gun permit. Uh, what happened in this case is the state police took that report. They said they looked into it or at least reviewed the report and um, didn't think did, it didn't meet the evidentiary threshold to them because, again, there no arrests were made. He denied it. His mom said he wasn't a threat to anyone. And I think more critically, at the time, Cremo did not have a gun permit. He didn't have an application for a gun permit pending. So the Illinois State Police essentially said there was nothing for us to really act on at the time. You know, this is for to get guns out of people's hands, and he didn't have any guns. So we took the report, and that that's kind of the end of it. And so because they didn't, you know— press forward in any way. In early 2020, Cremo was able to get a FOIA card. Can you first explain what that is, what a FOIA card is, and how one obtains it? Yeah, so a FOIA card is a gun permit. Illinois is one of, it's it's not a few states, but but it's not the majority of states. The majority of states don't require this, but here in Illinois, we require you to have a permit in order to purchase guns. And so in order to get that, you know, you have to pass a background check. That's the biggest one. You can't have certain felonies, certain violence in your background. If you have domestic violence convictions in your background, you can't get a gun permit. If you've been committed to a mental hospital within the last five years, if you had a restraining order against you within the last five years, you can't get a gun permit. Cremo didn't fit any of that. You know, none of that applied to Cremo. And his father sponsored his application or co-signed his application for a gun permit. The reason he needed to do that is one other law we have here in Illinois is that in order to get a gun per- permit to start purchasing guns, you have to be at least 21. Cremo at the time was only 19. Uh, so in order to do that, you need a legal guardian to sort of sign off on your application. His dad did that. As you mentioned, it was only a few months after this this interaction with police where he allegedly th- said, you know, threatened to kill people. His dad signed off on his gun permit. We received an email from one of our listeners that read, the conversation is always the same. Republicans like to point out that Illinois has some of the strictest gun laws. Democrats like to point out that Illinois is surrounded by states with weak gun laws. But let's break it down. You know, what laws does Illinois have that nearby states don't that makes people say our laws are, are so strict? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, one of the big ones is is the thing that we already mentioned, which is that you need a gun permit to purchase a gun in the first place. Um, That seems like a pretty low bar, I think, but but the majority of states in America do not require that. You know, the fact that we require a background check to get that gun permit, that we do have some requirements like I was going over of things that, you know, you can't have in your background in order to get this permit. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Um, There's also, you know... After the the shooting in Uvalde, there were talk about about how we need to make it so pe- young people can't get their hands on guns. In Illinois, as we talked about, you have to be at least 21 to get a gun permit, unless your father sponsors it or a legal guardian sponsors it. So Got it. that is a that is a restriction that we have that a lot of other states don't have. One restriction that we do not have, you know, assault weapons are not banned here in Illinois. You can buy an AR-15 style weapon in Illinois, provided you have a permit. Uh, another big sort of uh, law here that we have is we have a concealed carry license. If you want to, if you want to carry a gun on your person, you have to go through firearms training. You have to pass another background check. The restrictions for that are a lot uh, tighter than they are in other states. I mean, we have some states where it's just open carry for anyone. You don't need any sort of special permit. So those are some of the things that make it so that our our gun laws are, according to to advocacy organizations, among the strictest in the country. But if I'm correct. Assault weapons are banned in Highland Park, right? So how, how does that work with one another that, you know, Highland Park bans it, but it's not banned in Illinois? Is Highland Park's law just, you know, symbolic? Well, I, I think a lot of people would say that, that this shows that it doesn't work. And, and maybe there's a, that 
maybe there's other evidence that it doesn't work. It's similar to the idea that people talk about when they say, sure, Illinois has strict gun laws, but Indiana doesn't, Missouri doesn't, Wisconsin doesn't, which is, you know, once you buy a gun, it's not that hard to cross state lines with it. Once you Mm -hmm. buy a gun, it's not that hard to cross city lines with it. So, yes, Highland Park uh, bans the kind of wet rifle that was used in the shooting. However, the alleged shooter in this case, he lived in Highwood, which means when he went to purchase this gun, we presume that was the address he gave, which made it so that he was able to purchase this rifle. The ban that they have in Highland Park, I mean, it does some things. It makes it so that if you do actually live in Highland Park and that's your only address, you're not going to be able to legally purchase an AR-15 or an AR-15 style weapon. It means that, you know, like that time in 2019 when they came to his house and found all the knives, if they had found an AR-15, they could have seized that and charged him with a crime if he lived, you know, if he lived in Highland Park. So there are ways for them to enforce it to have some protection. Cremo, we don't know, this alleged shooter. We don't know. He might have found a way to get these guns anyway. He might have, you know, if he's the one who did this, which authorities say he confessed to this killing, uh, he might have found a way to do this anyway. He might have gone to Indiana or Wisconsin, but he didn't have to. He bought these guns legally. It was not that difficult for him to get his hands on these guns. I think at the least proponents for gun control would say um, we should make it as hard as we can to get these weapons of, of, of mass death. Uh, and, and it's not that difficult in Illinois, although it is more difficult com- than compared to other states. I should say gun rights people, I think they would point to this shooting and say, look, this is why you can't legislate your way out of this because mm-hmm. there's, you know, Illinois has strict laws and there's always a way around them. And that's never going to be the solution. I will say I, I personally haven't heard a better solution from those gun rights people, but, but that would be the point they would make. <laughs> I don't advocate for more surveillance or things like that. But when people say, you know, after the fact, they start putting these puzzle pieces together, you know, they kind of equal up to, uh, you know, everybody's got this narrative, right? He he went to to Trump rallies. He seemed to share white supremacist ideology. You know, he targeted a synagogue, the knives and all these things. What do you do when you have these type of, as the people want to call them now, red flags, but they're, they're, they're not necessarily crimes? Well, something that uh, Illinois politicians and and officials have been talking up a lot since this incident is Illinois' uh, red flag law, or or it's also known as the Firearms Restraining Order Act. The way it's laid out is you have to be a relative, you have to be a current intimate partner or former intimate partner, or you have to live with the person. You could go to a judge and say, look, this person I live with or my ex-husband or whoever, they're dangerous. They threatened me. They shoved me. They threatened somebody else. And I know they have guns. So you need to take those away or or they might do something. And we do have a law in Illinois, it was passed, I believe, in 2019, that says a judge can take away, at least temporarily, take away guns from somebody who uh, they deem to be a threat. There's an evidentiary burden they have to hit, similar to getting a, a kind of a typical restraining order out on someone to say, yeah, this person is too dangerous to own firearms. We're going to take away their firearms. We're going to take away their gun permit. One thing that I think is important to think about in the context of this of, of this uh, tragedy is that really the way it's written, it's for people who already have a gun permit, who already own guns. I'm not aware of, I, I can't say I've tracked this down all the way, but, but it certainly is not common for people to go and say, this person's dangerous, they're too dangerous to own guns, they don't have a gun permit yet, but I need you to make an order that says they can't get one in the first place. So there are certainly limits, limits to that. Yeah. It's really for if somebody has an arsenal, maybe, and you can go to a judge and say, look, this person's dangerous. you got to take their guns away. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in this case, 
the I guess I don't know if it's bare minimum, but the people who seem to be closest in this situation to the shooter or alleged shooter is, you know, his father didn't sign it in uh, when he was 19. Who's to say he wouldn't have started, you know, putting these guns together, this, you know, getting these weapons after turning 21? To be clear, and, you know, I don't this maybe I'm, I'm getting too far over my skis on this, but because I don't know what the father knew or didn't know. You know, they said they had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, they did not obviously didn't foresee this. In theory, if his father thought his son was a danger after he had purchased these guns, he could have gone to the court and said, hey, you need to take his guns away. This, you know, he had the guns for, for at least a year before he used them. So there was a period there where theoretically the red flag law or the, the restraining order could have prevented this. Obviously, that, that didn't happen. We've just watched other shootings happen in, in Texas and Buffalo, and we... And, end up in this conversation again where governors are, you know, on Twitter fighting each other, talking about the difference in laws, people are pigeonholing Chicago. What's going to come of of these conversations at the end of the day? Are people going to say at the end of the day, well, Illinois has done everything it can. It's it's up to the states around us to to tighten up. There's the sort of reporter answer in me that I'm going to give you in a minute to sort of talk about what I'm hearing from people and what movement's going on. Uh, As just a human who, who lives in America, the track record is that when this sort of thing happens, yeah, things just stay the same, and, and we shouldn't really expect any major change. Um, the reporter answer is what I've heard from people in Highland Park is that they really want an assault weapons ban. They think there should be a federal assault weapons ban because of that exact reason that you're talking about, um, that even if we had one in Illinois, you could go get them somewhere else. You know, I people say that probably isn't politically feasible. We have had one in the past. One other thing that I'm, I'm watching is, um, you know, Uh, Senator Duckworth, Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, has said she wants an assault weapons ban, but also that we should ban high-capacity magazines, which authorities say was used in this shooting. Um, And and I believe it was Annie Sweeney from the the Tribune I was talking with the other day who said that research shows that those are really a bigger determining factor in mass shootings than these sorts of assault weapons. Maybe that's more politically realistic, and maybe it could have an impact to just ban high-capacity magazines that that hold you know 30 bullets in them at a time is the is the ar-15 which we constantly see brought up as these shootings keep happening is that in is that under the classification that would be banned under a a potential assault weapons ban yes an ar-15 ar-15 style weapons i should say that for people listening you know Mm -hmm. like the gun that he used in this was not actually an armalite ar-15 but but that's sort of the shorthand for this kind of rifle this kind of long gun an ar-15 style gun that would be banned and was banned in the is banned in the Highland Park law currently. That was WBEZ reporter Patrick Smith talking to host Jacoby Cochran. Before we let you go, a little bit of news. Businesses on the Highland Park Parade route are reopening after the shooting, and services for survivors will continue to be available at Highland Park High School through Friday. There's a link to that and more stories in our newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. Also, some stories to look out for this week. Tuesday marks the start of the Millennium Park Summer Film Series. They'll be showing In the Heights. Catching a movie in the park is part of our summer bucket list, which you can also find on our website and learn how you might win some CityCast swag. And after another gas giveaway over the weekend from mayoral candidate Willie Wilson, we're going to get a look at the numbers behind high gas and grocery prices on Wednesday in the latest Consumer Price Index report. 
And some good news to get you through. Shout out to Sky Guard Allie Quigley for winning her fourth three-point shooting contest during the All-Star Weekend. It means she's won the most three-point contests of anyone in the WNBA or the NBA. As for who won the All-Star Game yesterday at Wintrust, that was the team with Quigley Sky teammates Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot. Thanks so much for listening. Jacoby is back on Wednesday. Tomorrow, lead producer Carrie Shepard is in the host chair. We'll talk to you then. Is that my fridge? Oh, it's the wrong mic.